Mark 5, starting in verse 24, is where we're going to be. Can we all stand up for the reading of God's word? Got a long one for you. Here we go. Starting in verse 24. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing up against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, the flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around uh, in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see, the crowd is pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this, this woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that we get to peer into history for, this, uh, for these few moments. That we get to just get a glimpse of what went on in this healing and we pray, Lord, uh, that as we dig into this for just a few moments, Lord, that you would just reveal to us what you have for us. God, that you're trying to communicate something to us through this passage. And I pray that we would just humbly approach this, not trying to make us say what we want to say, but rather we would hear um, what you have in store for us. That way we might know you better. That way we might know how you save us better. And that we might be able to go out into this world and represent you better. And so, God, I pray just for these few moments that you would speak to us. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Well, over the past few months, I have uh, grown a hatred for something that I have never had a hatred for in my life. And it's these things right here. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If y'all don't know what this is, these are called catkins. This is the official name. And uh, essentially, it falls off of trees and creates pollen. Now, I've never struggled with allergies in my life. Is anyone in the hatred with me, hatred camp of these things? Okay, cool. There's some things that I just want to go ask God, like why? Like, I, I get it. Maybe it's the fall. Maybe this is part of the curse from the fall. It's just, um, this is our punishment. Anyways, okay. I've never really struggled with allergies before in my life. And if I did, they never really uh, affected me in my day-to-day -day life. But this past year, my family, we moved houses. And in our previous house, we did not have very many trees uh, around our house, not very many trees around the houses around us. However, we moved to Azelwood, which has a billion trees just in our house and a billion trees around the uh, houses around us. So we just walk outside and all of these spawns of Satan are just covering our, our house and our... So... This is the first allergy season that we've had in this house, and man, it's kind of hit us hard. Like, I've had, like, itchy, puffy eyes, congestion. Like, just, just haven't been feeling great. Um, 
I've never taken allergy medicine before in my life, and now I'm taking it every day. I'm just popping pills before I leave the house. Now, as I was reading this passage this past week that we just read, I couldn't find myself, or I couldn't help myself but to be humbled in how how much I have a pity party over my allergies, man, it's nothing compared to what this woman was dealing with. Like, what I was dealing with is a mild inconvenience at best. Like, I'm still able to go outside, I'm still able to play with my family, I'm still able to go to work, I'm still able to live my normal life, albeit it's a very itchy life, but my normal life. This woman, though, this condition didn't just affect her it, or it didn't just affect you know, her physical body, but it affected every aspect of her life. Like this woman suffered from this bleeding for 12 years, and I'm not going to get into a biology lesson. I think we can all piece together what's going on here. And if you're a kid, just ask your parents later, and then we're good. But this woman dealt with this issue for 12 years, and we're going to get into this a little bit more later. But in the Old Testament, in the law, it, it said if you suffered from this condition, then you were made ceremonially unclean. And we're going to get into what all that means later. But, but for, for what I want to get into right now is because she was ceremonially unclean, this, not, this didn't just affect her physically, but it affected her socially. It affected her spiritually and how she could interact with the people around her. And, and so uh, we get to enter this story at the 12th year of her dealing with this condition. And it says that she suffered um, much under many doctors and spent all of her money trying to get this condition fixed. And she was at her wit's end and heard about this man named Jesus. And that's where we get to enter in. Her coming up to Jesus and just grabbing the end of his robe and being made well from that. Now, we've been going through The Chosen. If this is your first time here, The Chosen is a TV series uh, that depicts the life of Jesus and his disciples and the conversations they had, the situations that they were in. And in season three, they depicted this very account right here. And um, we've been going uh, through the different scenes. And we're going to watch this scene today. And I, I love being able to watch these scenes because it helps us wrap our mind around what's going on, not just intellectually, but emotionally. We're able to, to kind of feel with them what's going on rather than just hear it with our ears. And so we're actually going to watch that video right now. Simon's house. We need to get through. Come back. Come back. Our rabbi has a pressing down. It's your rabbi. Stay here. Our rabbi has a pressing matter ahead. Promise you come back. Please. Stay back, stay back everyone. Please, please. 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 
the question. Who touched me? Master, the crowds are pressing in all around you like this and you're asking who touched you? They all have. Someone touched me. I felt that power went out of me. Whoever touched me, come forward, teacher. It was me. Just the fringe of your garment, only the edge, I promise. You are not unclean. Why my garment? I'm sorry. I know I should have asked. But if, if you touched me, it would make you ritually unclean according to the law. I was sick. I was sick for 12 years. I bled and, and no one could stop it. But, but I believed if I could just touch a piece of your garment. <laughs> I was right. I was right. Thank you. Who told you I could heal? Uh, a man from the pool. <laughs> and he was right. The blood has ceased. My daughter. I'm no one's daughter anymore. Look up. Yes, you are. Daughter. 
It wasn't my piece of clothing that healed you. But it was instant. I felt it right away. I know, but it wasn't this. It was your faith. Teacher, she was bleeding so long. We can take her. She is clean. me today and I know my daughter I know it has been a fight for you for so long you must be exhausted go now in peace your faith has made you well So this is just a beautiful account, a beautiful account. Uh, it's a unique account. We don't really see people get healed like this in the Bible. Uh, now, here's what I want to do, is while this is a very real account that happened where people um, were saved or and healed from their afflictions, I think that God is communicating to us something through this, that, that while this woman got saved in this moment and healed from her affliction, God is communicating a much bigger picture to us. Like, I don't think that it's coincidence that this woman suffered the way that she did and was healed the way that she was. I don't think it's coincidence that, that she uh, tried to go be healed by many doctors before she found her way to Jesus. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus called her out of that crowd and started talking to her and having this conversation with her. I think all of that's there for a reason. And what I want to get into is seeing how this passage in, informs us and, and tells us how salvation works. Like in the same way that this woman was healed, I think it informs us how God saves us. And so that's what we're going to get into today. And so the first thing that, that we notice from this passage is that this woman has been pleading for 12 years. Now, as I said before, the type of bleeding that she had meant that she uh, was ceremonially unclean. Now, all this is uh, in Leviticus. This part is more specifically in Leviticus 15. If you want to go do some fun reading later, you know, have at it. But what it basically gets at is that because she was bleeding, she was um, made unclean. Now, what does that mean? So if we go all the way back to Exodus, at the end of Exodus, um, God decides to reside among the Israelites. So they build the, the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, depending on your translation, and God himself resides among that. And immediately after God resides among the Israelites, we move into Leviticus, and that's God giving the Israelites the law. And the law has a few different sections to it. There's a section that gets into what is sin and what is not sin and, and um, uh, what, what is holiness among that. There's a section on uh, sacrificial law of how you atone for your sin. And then there is a section on um, what is ceremonially clean and unclean. Now, that's the section that we're, we're talking about today. The interesting thing about this section is that this section didn't necessarily have anything to do with sin issues. This section had more to do with the realities and the effects of living in a cursed, broken world. So um, there was parts in this, 
in this ceremonial law that informed you of if you've interacted with the world in this way, that goes contrary to the nature of God. Therefore, you are unclean before God. That kind of makes sense. So like, for example, if you uh, were walking around and you saw a dead animal and for whatever reason you decided to touch the dead animal, you are now made unclean. Now, it's not because, again, it's not necessarily because there was a sin issue there. It was more because you have a holy God and a holy God does not reside among death. And so if you've interacted with death, you are now unclean before God. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So that's kind of what was going on here with this woman. Like she was bleeding through no fault of her own. Like, again, this wasn't a sin issue, but because of the side effects of living in a broken world and she was suffering from this condition, she was considered unclean. And uh, every day that she bled, she was, the timer restarted and she was unclean, unclean, unclean. Now, whenever you're unclean, not only are you unclean, but everything you touch is unclean, including other people. And so this woman's condition not only affected her physically, not only affected her spiritually, but also socially. No one wanted to be around her. It's like my daughter uh, last night was eating Cheetos and had Cheeto hands and then wanted to come give me a hug. I'm like, no, go wash your hands first because your Cheeto hands turn into Cheeto shirt. I don't want that. That's what was going on here. No one wanted to be around this woman for fear and risk of becoming unclean themselves. So here's the important thing to note, is that the law informed her of the situation that she was in. The law informed her that she was unclean. But the law itself could not actually solve the predicament that she was in. While the law could inform her of the predicament that she was in, the law could not solve the predicament that she was in. And this is where it starts to correlate to um, how God's uh, salvation works in us, that, that we have the law as well, and the law informs us of our sinful nature. However, the law cannot save us from our sinful nature. The law can inform us of our sinful nature, but it can't save us from our sinful nature. And this is um, where a weird misconception happened, not only in Judaism, but in Christianity as well, where somewhere along the way, we have convinced ourselves that if we just follow the law good enough, then we'll be saved from our sin. And it was never meant to be that way. Paul writes about this a lot in the New Testament, and he specifically writes this in Romans 7. He says in Romans 7, 7, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. And so here's what Paul's getting at, is that the law informed him of what sin and holiness was, and then sinful nature does what sinful nature does. It runs to the sin. And so uh, the Bible, this is why the Bible refers to the law as a tutor or a guardian over us until we come into a relationship with Christ. The, the, the law is meant to inform us of the predicament that we're in and we're bound to that until Jesus actually comes and saves us from that. So this past week, I got an email from my insurance company for my house and they were saying, hey, uh, just to let you know, we have not received your insurance payment from your mortgage, so you owe X amount of dollars and it needs to be paid by this day or we're terminating your insurance. And that's always fun, you know, mail to get, right? When someone says you owe them thousands of dollars, just hop in line. Okay, so 
uh, I emailed them back and I said, hey, I am currently trying to get in contact with my mortgage company. I'm sorry about this. We will get that payment to you uh, as soon as we can. And they emailed me back and they said, hey, we checked your account, just letting you know that uh, you purchased our insurance through a third-party insurance broker. Everyone know what I'm talking about? Third-party insurance broker over here purchased the insurance as a mediator through them. So we can't actually solve this issue for you. You're going to have to go over here to this person to solve the issue. In other words, we are here to solely inform you that there is a problem. If you want a solution to the problem, you actually have to go over here. And so now I get to track down a bunch of people and figure out how to get this payment done. But that's exactly how the law operates. The law is there solely to inform us of our sinful nature. It's not there to save us from our sinful nature. Hebrews um, digs into, a great book if you haven't read it, Hebrews digs into how uh, to make sense of the New Testament and the Old Testament. Hebrews digs into, okay, Jesus died for our sins. How does this integrate with the Old Testament? And so Hebrews is uh, talking about all that. And in Hebrews 10, it starts talking about how does the sacrificial system integrate with the sacrifice that Jesus gave? And he says this in Hebrews 10, 8. After he says above, you do not desire or delight in sacrifices or in offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. Let's stop there for a second. So what he's getting at here is you do not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which by the way, was in the law. God is the one that gave the law. Those aren't bad things to do. But he's saying, I don't delight in these things. A few verses earlier, it's saying that the blood of bulls and goats are impossible to take away and atone for sin. And so all of this law that you're getting over here actually was never meant to solve the issue at hand. What was going to solve the issue at hand? Verse 9, Then he then says, See, I've come to do your will. He, Jesus, takes away the first, aka the sacrificial system, he takes away the first to establish the second. What's the second? Verse 10, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So what the laws, the law again, is never meant to atone for sin. The law is meant to inform us that there's a problem and point us to who is going to atone that sin, namely Jesus. And so we have this woman in this passage who is ceremonially unclean. The law told her that she was unclean, yet she was bound to that law and the law could not fix her uncleanliness. Only when she approached Jesus, only Jesus can heal her of that issue and by healing her of that issue, make her clean in the eyes of the law. That's how it works for us. We don't uh, find our salvation in the law. We're informed that we need salvation from the law. If we keep going in the passage, we see that this woman was desperate to get this condition resolved. Again, it, it affected every aspect of her life. And she was willing to go anywhere, see anyone, pay anything to get this um, taken care of. It says that she spent all of her money seeing doctors. Um, some of those doctors were probably legitimate. Some of those doctors were probably less legitimate. Uh, but either way, she spent all of her money trying to get healed from these doctors and she still was not healed. In fact, she was worse off than before. And the, the funny thing enough is that after spending all of her money trying to get healed through worldly means, what ended up healing her cost her nothing. 
What ended up healing her was literally just coming up to Jesus and grabbing his robe. But then we see in the conversation that it's not actually her grabbing his robe that did anything. Like here's the passage, Mark 5 verse 32, our passage from today. But he, Jesus, was looking around to see who had done this, grabbed his robe. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, here's the important part, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. So after 12 years of doing everything she could, it was her faith that saved her, her belief in Jesus, her trust in Jesus that he could actually heal her of this situation. And this beautifully illustrates a, a crucial poor, uh, point about our salvation, and that is that we can try and try and try and try to be good enough to seek out any means necessary uh, to attain our own salvation, but short of grace through faith in Jesus, we will not achieve it. We will just be spinning our wheels over and over again. Just as this woman tried everything she could to be healed from the affliction and failed, we can try everything in our power to be good enough to be saved, and we will fail every time. Galatians 2.16 says this, This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Let me read that last part. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. And, and here's, I, I'm hoping, a wake-up call for some people in this room. Because there's probably people in this room who just think to themselves, if I can just be good enough, if I can just go to church enough, if I can just pray enough, if I can just help enough old ladies across the street, if I can just return enough carts back to the men at the, uh, at the grocery store, then I'll be good enough. God will look down on me with favor and, and hear me. He won't. He won't. If you are aiming to be good enough to get into heaven and have salvation with God, you will never achieve it. You might be thinking to yourself, God is up there just weighing out our good deeds and our bad deeds. And whichever one comes out heavier, that's where we're going to go after we die. And for one, that's not how it works. And for two, even if it did work that way, you still wouldn't like the results. We do not attain our salvation by working and trying to be good enough. And you might say to yourself, you might have convinced yourself that you're a good person. Like uh, you may have surrounded yourself with enough bad people that you've convinced yourself that you're a good person. You may have watched enough news and say, I'm not like that person in Washington, D.C. I'm not like that person that shot up that school. I'm not like that person that's going out and doing these awful things. And you may have convinced yourself that you're good enough. And, and let me just tell you that the standard of salvation isn't comparing you against other people. The standard of salvation is comparing you against the holiness of God. And whenever you are put up against the holiness of God, you will fail every single time. When I was in high school, I played tennis. Any tennis players in the room? Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's just me. <laughs> um, it was the only sport that I was half decent at. Uh, I was uh, one of the better ones on my team. So when I would play against you know, my teammates in practice, I would usually do pretty well. Uh, but it was a small town. Uh, it's a blue collar town. Uh, no one was going to the tennis pros from my town. We were just having a good time. 
However, we would drive into the Metroplex and that's where we would do uh, a lot of our tennis competitions uh, was in the Metroplex. In the Metroplex, they, they take tennis on a whole different level than we did. Like they start them real young. They've got personal trainers, private coaches. Uh, we just showed up to have a good time. So what, what ended up happening is I would do so well against um, my teammates, but then we go to these competitions and I would just play my heart out and just get beaten to the ground, like not even close. And I'm made abundantly aware that even though I'm good compared to my teammates, I'm awful compared to these people. And that's, that's how it is with us. It's like, you may have convinced yourself that you're good compared to the people around you, but whenever you're comparing yourself to the holiness of God, you're awful. Like just to put it bluntly, you're awful on your best day you are nowhere near the holiness of God. Isaiah 64 says this. It says, All of us have become like the one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Your best efforts to be righteous are like filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. And so there is for sure no way that we're going to attain our salvation by trying to do it through good works. And if we do, we're going to find ourselves in the same situation as this woman. So if we go back to our passage uh, in 525, it says, Now a woman was suffering from bleeding for 12 years, had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became Worse, And I believe that's what's in store for us whenever we try to attain our salvation through good works. I believe not only are we going to uh, remain in the condition that we're in, but we're going to be much worse than we were before. How, how is that so? The only thing worse for a person who is not saved is a person who is not saved yet thinks that they are. There's going to be plenty of people who think they're driving on the road to heaven because they've done many good things in their life, only to realize they've drove straight into hell. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for the people at this church. And so it's not by works that we're saved. It's by grace through faith. And that's what Jesus said to this woman. It's not even you coming up and grabbing my robe. It's, it's your faith that's healed you. The Bible digs into uh, this aspect of being saved by grace through faith. And, and what it explains is that grace is basically just a gift. Like, like if we were to simply put, it's a gift. It's something that you don't deserve being offered out to you. It's not because you're special. It's not because you did anything good. It's not like Santa Claus where he evaluates your good deeds and your bad deeds and then gives you gifts accordingly. No, it's just an offer of grace something you don't deserve. Now, what, what is this grace? It's Jesus' righteousness. We've talked a lot about how we ourselves cannot attain righteousness. We ourselves cannot attain the holiness of God, but Jesus can, and he did because he is God. And so through Jesus' work on the cross, there's now a great exchange that happens where Jesus takes on our sin and our death and he offers us his righteousness and his life. That's how we attain righteousness. It's not by being good enough. It's by trusting in the one who was good enough. And so we're being offered this grace as a gift, something that we don't deserve. And, and here's what the Bible says. How do you receive that grace? Through faith. 
It's being held out to you. How do you receive it? You grab it by placing your faith in Jesus. Same as this woman. She was healed because of her faith in Jesus. And so you may be here today, you may be like this woman that that you feel like you've been burdened by sinful nature. You've been burdened and trying to figure out how in the world do I feel this emptiness inside of me? How in the world do do I alleviate this guilt and shame inside of me? How in the world do I alleviate this, this feeling that, that I'm not enough? And Jesus would say, just trust me. I am enough. I want to give that to you. One last thing to note before we wrap up here is if you look at this, uh, this story with this woman, she came up and touched Jesus and she was healed. Now, what does it say that was going on around them? It says that Jesus was being pressed in on by all these people, no doubt people who were there to be healed by Jesus. Yet all of these people touching him, yet only one woman was healed from it. Which tells me this, that it's not about you being near Jesus. It's not about you being in the same room as Jesus. It's not even about you touching Jesus. It's about you placing your faith in Jesus. And so please hear me today. If you're a person who's playing church, thinking if I just go to church enough to be saved, it's not going to happen. You have to place your faith in him and receive that grace as a gift. Let me pray that we do that. Lord, We thank you, God, for your word, and we thank you, God, that we were able to uh, peer into the account of this woman being healed by you. And we thank you, God, that, that it illustrates beautifully what you do in us in our salvation. And I pray, Lord, that we would heed the warning that we wouldn't spin our wheels trying to uh, find anything that satisfies in this world and waste our time and waste our money and waste our life only to be still broken and miserable at the end of it. We pray, God, that, that we would come to you for healing and meaning and purpose, knowing that you are the only one that can satisfy. God, I pray for anyone in this room uh, who, who hasn't placed their faith in you and who is just trying so hard to earn your love. And I pray that they would just realize that they don't have to earn your love, that you're offering it. pray, God, that you convict us in this moment and however you're causing us to move that we would follow. We're going to move into a time of invitation and in this time, we're just really inviting you to respond however God is calling you to respond. Maybe you just need to sit there and pray and just just realign your thoughts with the Lord, not trying to earn his love, but rather just accept his love. Maybe you're a person who who um, has never placed your faith in Christ and you've always tried to just go to church enough to be saved, come up here. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to show you what it means to place your faith in Christ and walk you through that process. Maybe you need to pray for some other people in your life. I don't know how God is moving your life, but I know that he is nudging you and that he's calling you. And this is your opportunity to do so. Can we all stand up together? We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. And however God is calling you, We invite you to move.